This is an Area Code podcast. Hi, I'm Amy Simmons. And I'm Crispin Mayfield. And welcome to the Attached to the Invisible podcast. y'all we are back second part of the disorganized attachment episode very excited to continue this discussion that amy and i had about disorganized attachment and god we get a little bit into our shared past because we both went to the same bible college didn't know each other then and also worked at the same place so if you want to hear a little hot goss about our bible college i decided to put that at the end of the episode there's a little bit in the middle And then there's a little bit more at the end of the episode. So just listen through if you want to hear the very end, because I figured, you know, some people might not want to be bored by um, hearing about Bible college in men's and women's chapels. And some people would. So you can definitely have that option. Um, But otherwise, we are talking about disorganized attachment in the church with God and what this looks like on a spiritual level. Christianity comes out on this podcast. Um, and I like that about it. <laughs> but that we're like, we're like drawn out of ourselves into um, what God would have for us just naturally from birth, from like inception, from all of it. Abuse that starts from like early, early, early on, right, is going to confuse our instinct right, is going to teach us, uh, we talk about this with trauma all the time, is that people stop trusting their instincts because their instincts don't match their reality so consistently, right? My instinct is don't go to that person, but also my instinct is go to that person, and that's confusing, that doesn't make any sense, right? And so so the way that instincts get so jumbled so easily, um, or I, or talk about disassociation, that's just the physical response, right? I go to this person, because that's my instinct, right? Is to like take refuge in the person who birthed me or who helped create me. Um, I go to them. I have a traumatic experience. I find myself disassociated, right? And then I'm like, I'm losing time or experience or emotion, whatever. Um, And then I like zone back in a little while. And it's just like all of this like depth of confusion that happens with trauma. Um, We talk about, you know, like we can talk about trauma from so many ways, but so often what I what the empathetic part of me pulls towards is the depth of confusion that it causes. Um, Because it tells you that Mm. what you want in your most human soul is incorrect because your experience is constantly rubbing up against it negatively, right? It's like sandpaper. It's the way that our experience Mm -hmm. and our desire harm each other Mm -hmm. in trauma. Um, Mm -hmm. And not disassociative. Um, Disorganized attachment feels like such a sort of physical, um, tangible manifestation of that experience, right? Is Mm -hmm. I want, and what I want is bad, and so I'm either going to catch myself, right? I'm going to catch myself right as it happens, right? I'm going to go to you, and then I'm going to be like, get away from Mm me. Or, or another way that disorganized attachment manifests is, you know, I go to someone, 
for comfort, they comfort me, and then I resent them for it. Or I want to run the other direction because this isn't what I've been conditioned to believe like love and care feel like. Right? I've been conditioned to believe that love and care is something else entirely. Um, And that actually, I think, really brings me intensely towards the church discussion. Right? It's like, what are we... Yeah, it was funny. You just said that. And I was like, yeah, that is exactly where my brain went as well. What are we conditioned to believe love is versus what do we in in our soul that is connected to the divine believe and understand love to be? Right? Um, and the church... Okay, so, like, for me... That, I'm making a lot of hand gestures that the podcast can't see. That happens a lot. Everyone everyone listening, there's a lot of me making hand gestures and faces that you guys don't know about. Um, right. That Crispin just sort of gets to enjoy um, all on his own. So, um, but when we think about, um, like, really intense, like, fundamentalism... Um, I think I've talked about the, like, to trade a child book, like that level of, like, intense fundamentalist evangelicalism, um, that has, like, (laughs) you know, physical abuse written into its bylaws, um, and, like, intense and aggressive and painful sexual, uh, like, repression written into its bylaws, um, Mm -hmm. not literally written into its bylaws, but maybe, um, I'm not gonna assume everyone's bylaws are the same, (laughs) But I, that's what I think about. It's like you have defined like love and acceptance and connection to the divine as something that it is not. And so you're entirely screwing with someone's ability to understand what the love of God feels like. Because what you taught them is that the love of God feels like the opposite of what the love of God feels like. And the intensity of confusion that people walk away from those experiences with. Like I remember... I will not name any names here because it's not my story to tell, but I had a professor at Bible college whose wife had grown up in one of these. We, I remember we called it like a fundamentalist cult, right? Um, And some of the stories that came out of her experience and then her later leaving the faith sort of very abruptly um, because of her experience around it. And I remember at the time being 22 years old And thinking, like, this person has, like, lived, you know, they had been married for, like, 17 years when she was just, like, I'm out on you, I'm out on Christianity, I'm out on the kids, I'm out on everything. Um, And I remember being, like, you had 17 years to, like, unlearn that that's what God was. But you just, like, held on to that idea, right, judgy 22-year-old. And now I look back and I go, like, Uh how intense and painful must your experience of Christianity as a child have been? That, like... All of that time of having a more loving experience of God didn't was not able to penetrate the pain of that first 18 years of your life, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this I don't even know who you're talking about, even though we did go to the I same Bible college. I think this professor didn't teach there when you went there, so. Okay, yeah. Well, I was thinking that it, it also kind of points to what I, I would say that I would say, like, a lot of churches fail to heal uh in the way that we need. So, you know, even if it's a less fundamentalist, more loving, um, I think that I I feel like that I feel churches do not um in, in general broad strokes 
don't pay enough attention to the ways that we've been hurt to take special care to talk about God in ways because it's so easy to pick up on all the like judgmentalism and punishment, even if the loving part is yes. there. Okay. So that's fantastic. Thank you. Because I wanted to say that, but then I was doing my own thing. So I'm glad that you said it. Um, <laughs> this, I honestly, like we can go back to the marriage thing, right? Of like, well, you can like, Come from a really, I've got a friend who, like, I feel like this is her experience, right? Comes from a, like, super traumatic, messed up family, right? Married into a very loving, happy family who has their own issues, right? Um, And it turns out that didn't magically fix everything that she experienced. And most often what she winds up feeling inside of this new family unit is misunderstood, right? Most profoundly Mm. The experience is, oh, I don't fit in here, right? I'm supposed to feel something. I'm supposed to think something. I'm supposed to be somewhere that I'm not. Because you can't just plop a person from an unhealthy family environment into a healthy... I mean, this is a true of adoption, right? Which is like a deeply Mm -hmm. biblical metaphor. (laughs) You can't just be like, no, you're in a healthy family now. It's all good. Mm -hmm. But a lot of adoptive parents do that. And then they wind up having adoptive kids who are like really... Um, continue to have, I mean, adoption and, and attachment are so intertwined, right? Uh, you have mm-hmm. a, you see this all the time, particularly with like a lot of like white saviorism, upper middle class families who are adopting. Um, but you, you see this, right? I grew up with a, a bunch of families. Like I remember a family I grew up with adopted this kid. And it was just that, right? It was like, we're a happy, healthy family. And he's struggling. And they're like, but we're a happy, healthy family. And he's still struggling, but we're, and eventually it's like, he's like wild and out somewhere because he never really felt like he fit in with this family, despite having lived with them from the time he was like four onward, because there was no attention to the harm done, right? The harm done was, was ignored. Um, and so you move forward with this, like, yeah, but like you're in the right place now. So it's all good. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think that we do this all the time where we're like, I mean, like, people get saved out of, like, wild situations. And we do this thing where, like, they're like, you're in the church now, so it's all good. It's all good, boo-boo. And you're like, it's not, though. It's not. And the church still has problems and it still has errors and we should be listening. This is just a total side rant, but boy, howdy, should we be listening? Can you guys hear me? Trying so hard not to swear. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, howdy, should we be listening to our church members who come from like deeply traumatic experiences because they have a vision and an understanding and an awareness um, and just like antennas, like a sensitivity to dysfunction that our church members who have had more blessed experiences uh, do not have. And we should be listening to them instead of hushing them up with like, don't worry, baby, like you can calm down, like you're, you're in good hands now, which is what we so often tell people. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I also think that we should uh, do um, exit interviews for people too. <laughs> from the church. From the church. Darn straight, we should yeah. do exit interviews. Now, that would require right. um, people communicating that they're leaving a church. So there's that. Yes. Um, but yeah, right. we should. We uh-huh. should, we should yeah. listen to that information. We are so quick yes, in the right. church to just write people off for like, oh, well, you should, you know. It's like, if we're a family, mm-hmm. if the church is a family, which is what you told me, if I just mm-hmm. stopped coming 
to like Thanksgiving, you'd probably give me a call. And if you didn't, you wouldn't be very good parents, would you? So like. Mm -hmm. mm -mm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think it, so we're, we're talking about like harm that's done um, and how, uh, Make, making vague, vague suggestions about how the church could do better. <laughs> vague but um, passionate. <laughs> yeah, right. That's my specialty. Uh, but I think the other thing is, um, is when it comes to this disorganized attachment, I think that it, we experience that with God. Uh, we are, at least... I'll say that I have, right? We're told like God is love, God loves you. And then we also get these messages that God is disgusted with you, right? Or I mean, even worse, right? Like God loves you, but if you don't turn your life around, God is going to punish you forever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh huh. So there's that. Mm -hmm. I mean, th that there's that. Uh, it makes sense. There's this part of us that wants comfort and wants love and wants acceptance and wants closeness from God. And then there's this part of us that's like, well, what if I get close to God and God is really disappointed in me and judges me? And uh, I mean, like Francis Chan says uh, that anxiety and worry – uh, our uh, smell foully to God, sure. something like that. So, like, yeah, what if I get close to God and he's like, ooh, you stink. Like, I don't want you here, right? How painful <laughs> would that be? <laughs> so then you're sort of stuck between, like, I want to get close, but I also don't want to be judged, so I'm going to stay far away. Yeah, I think a lot of times people maybe get caught in this um, impossible cycle of... <laughs> I need to be my best self before I can go to God with anything. Better polish up before I head out. Uh, and obviously we are unpolished inherently. Um, and also, again, I can't come back to this enough um, over this, here, this entire podcast. I can't come back to this enough. Maybe what we were told was being polished isn't even being polished. Hmm? Maybe. Um, maybe it's all... Um, Nonsense. Um, <laughs> you don't I say don't, it. I, I didn't say it. I said maybe. I didn't say it. Um, I'm not going to get struck down quite yet. Um, but yeah, I, th I think that there's... And even that, like, that puts people in this disorganized state, right? It's like, well, I need to get to this place. But that doesn't, like, match with anything, I'm, again, that my instincts are teaching me to move toward. Right? My instincts are teaching me to move towards, um, uh, okay. I would argue that the majority of people who are highly involved with Mars Hill probably left that church with some disorganized attachment to God. Um, because what were they taught, right? Is all of these complicated, conflicting, strict rules. I think a lot of times, like, sexism in the church can really lead us to disorganized attachment because it's Again, trying really hard not to swear. It's really, really confusing. You can swear about sexism okay, in the church. It's really fucking confusing. Um, because what makes a man close to God and what makes a woman close to God are opposites. Oh my gosh, I knocked over my microphone. 
I have a little, hey, hey oh. team, we're doing some COVID recording, yeah. and I have a funny little microphone guy, and he's got a little, a little bobblehead, like a, it's fuzzy, it's very cute, but it's in front of me, and so it's not very well balanced, um, and also it's just sort of there for me to knock over as a clumsy person, and I talk with my hands a lot, especially when I get passionate about sexism in the church. So, so, I mean, <laughs> so I made reference to this earlier, but Amy mm-hmm. and I went to the same Bible college, mm-hmm. um, not at the same time, no, uh, maybe a little bit overlapping. When did we you also finish worked, your master's? Yeah. We also worked briefly at the same facility. We but, did. I know that I didn't hate, I want to tell all of our podcast people a thing about you that's great, which is that. When I worked at the facility that Crispin had worked at, he lived in Minnesota at the time. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. So yeah. they, they, I think I worked there the year that you lived in Minnesota specifically, and people were like, "Oh, Crispin left," but Crispin is the best there ever was. That's all I ever heard about. Like any time oh. Crispin's name came up, what was talked about was that how Crispin was the best, the best uh, person who ever wor- walked those halls, and how everyone should try and be like Crispin. It's such a disappointment that we didn't get to meet Crispin. And how all of us should only want to be like Crispin, but we couldn't possibly because Crispin's so great. I know you're going to want to edit that out, but now you can't because I told you <laughs> right, not no. to. Yeah, I was going to say listeners can't see me blushing, <laughs> but that is really nice. It was very sweet. And so it, it's very funny because I sort of had this image of Crispin in my head that I don't know what it was. It was just that he was the best. Um, that, really that he was funny. just sort of Jesus, maybe. Uh, and then I yeah. met him many years later when this no longer um, mattered to me or was a thought in my head. But if I had met you like two years later, I think I would have been like nervous to talk to you. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, sexism in the church. It makes sense because it's really yeah. confusing. I think it is. And I, I don't know if men have as intense of an experience around this as women do, um, because I do think that the world of the church is still well limiting and painful, right? I think sexism is damaging to everyone. Um, and I think everyone, honestly, if they, they stop to examine and get to the other side of it, like feel that pain. Yeah. Um, I do totally. think it, admitted, admittedly, like I'm confessing some abomination. Um, it still is created to oppress women, and so there, there is this, I think women often experience this, like, I am so confused because there are things that are being said from the pulpit that are how I'm supposed to be. And then when I turn around and go to a women's group, I'm no longer allowed to do those things or I'm only mm. allowed to do them to a limit. Um, and the confusion hey, so, that that causes. Right. So it makes me think about dysfunctional families mm-hmm. when you have a parent that, mm-hmm. Gives you, I mean, that's a, that's another uh, kind of theory about disorganized attachment. Uh, what creates disorganized attachment is when you get conflicting messages. So when dad says, clean up your shoes, and then the next day it's like, why'd you clean up your shoes? I told you I would take care of it. And it it really uh, under uh, undercuts your sense of reality. I mean, literally, it's like a sense of like gaslighting, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't discern what true reality is which goes back to what we've been talking about this whole time like what actually is love what it actually is good for you mm-hmm. and i think that i mean i think this this is not limited to like fundamentalism i think that there is often a concern um as people find more free freed uh more like liberated and healthy ways of relating to God, 
they're like, this doesn't feel right. I should feel guilty or I should feel bad about myself or I should feel scared. Actually, our uh, one of my favorite people, Connie Baker, uh, who's a therapist that goes to my church, she was speaking recently at church and she said that teaching, spiritual teaching should create a sense of freedom. I would say that lines up with the Bible, but that doesn't really fit with a lot of our experience. And especially that like sort of, I really don't like that. Like, I'm going to tell you the tough word. I'm going to make you feel bad. This is one of those churches where we don't just make you feel good, which is sort of that like disorganized attachment thing. <laughs> Amy's getting so excited. She's knocking the, the recorder over again. I can't help it. It's unbalanced because it has this cute little troll head. Uh, it's very square. I'm, Everybody, just imagine a troll head that's really square. Um, it's kind of adorable, but I can't keep it straight up. Um, oh, Crispin. Yes. Okay, so I am gonna... Have we ever disagreed on the podcast? Uh, Do you think I it's guess happened? We're, we're about to. I mean, I don't even know if that intensely, um, but I just am realizing as I'm about to be like, I think I disagree with you um, that I don't think we've ever disagreed on the podcast. So it just goes to show you guys, you can disagree and still be pals. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> but I, I think, I think, um, and you correct me if you're wrong, because you're talking about your own experience. So you always have the right to correct me about my interpretation of it. I think that. What I see when people get up on the pulpit and they're like, we're going to tell you the hard truth, right? It's like there is a version of that that is just like, hey, yo, you want the convenient version of things and that's not how it works, right? Um, I remember a, um, oh, I remember a sermon. One of my favorite sermons of all time. I don't even know if I agreed with it. I just loved it because it was so like, hey, the Bible thinks that capitalism is wrong and bad and people were furious. And I was like the one, one of three people in the congregation, like clapping and cheering. And I was volunteering that Sunday. So everyone knew I was a volunteer and I was like, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I was like, I don't even know if this is like the appropriate place in scripture to like pull this messaging from. Right. But what I do agree with is that, that probably God isn't pro capitalism um, but people were like fear and, but like, that's kind of how it was couched. Right. Is like, Hey, you're going to disagree with this. I'm probably going to get some letters about it, but like, we need to talk about this because the church is harming people. Right. Mm-hmm. With this, with this ideology. Right. So I personally right, think yeah. that there is some space for that, but what is so often happening is coming back to my Mars Hill vitriol, uh, which is that so often we assume that people, um, I think what pastors who are like hard hard hitting, I'm putting them in some air quotes over here, think sometimes is that if people feel shame, it's because those are the hard truths. And I don't think that the gospel beckons shame out of us. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes the, the gospel beckons struggle out of me. Right? I think mm-hmm. sometimes it, it calls me into a place where I go like, ah, dang it. Like I didn't <laughs> I didn't want that. I didn't want to think about that. I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to move in that space. I didn't want to be better than my circumstances. I wanted to be just as terrible as my circumstances. That's where I feel like the gospel (laughs) so often yells at me. But what that gets interpreted as is like, so if you feel shame, it's because I'm telling the truth. 
And that is not my Jesus. Like that is not the the Christ of the gospels is not that Mm -hmm. you should feel that you are a failure and that there's no winning and that everything you do is sort of inherently problematic. Again, back to the instincts, right? Mm-hmm. This organized attachment is so much about like the confusion of instinct for me. And I think what that does is say like, yeah, you should feel shame, but I know in my heart I shouldn't feel shame, right? You're telling mm-hmm. me that God loves me unconditionally. You're also telling me that like I shouldn't love me unconditionally. And that's confusing because mm-hmm. I was supposed to reflect what God does. And if God loves me unconditionally, but I'm not supposed to love me unconditionally, but I'm supposed to reflect what God does, then what on earth am I supposed to be doing? Right? Mm-hmm. Um <sighs> And so, <laughs> yeah, well, I think, and I think it is like very nuanced. And I, I like the, the idea of like, uh, making the uncomfortable or the comfortable, uncomfortable and vice versa, that mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do, th- I'm, yeah, I think that like, uh, opposing oppressive systems is a way of working towards freedom, even if it doesn't feel that way. Right. But I I think that there is a a sense of uh, I think even thinking about that. Right. Capitalism. Like, yes, there is this like this is really uncomfortable. But then you're like, okay, so what would it be like to to believe in a God that does not uh, endorse capitalism and does not want people to uh, to just get what they Uh, get what they have based on their own hard work or merit right Mm -hmm. that actually is a freeing concept yeah Mm, you know Mm -hmm. whereas Mm -hmm. like uh i hear that i you know like i'm gonna tell you the hard truth amy you are a wretch and you don't deserve god's love (laughs) and when god looks at you he is disgusted but fortunately jesus stepped in the way so god can't see you anymore (laughs) Right. That's so there's cool. nothing there's there. Yeah, I, I hear mean, you. I hear you, you. you could argue like, well, yeah, like the good there is a good news in there. But like, I don't okay. think it's that good. No. Right? And I, I will tell you even like the, the sermon example I use, like a lot of the sources that that pastor was using in that sermon were, were specifically liberation theologists. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that in there. Right. There's that in there. That right. is it is moving us towards towards freedom. Um, mm-hmm. the gospel shouldn't it always, um, yeah. and the Bible says that point blank, but people twist that, right? People twist that scripture mm-hmm. into being like, oh, it is in our limitation. How often have you, s- I think that uh, the pastor of the church that I most recently have been going to that I no longer do, sh- nobody knows, um, <laughs> is, has said like it is in, wait, are you, you know- going to do an exit interview? I should, but also I haven't told anyone I'm not going. I just sort of haven't done anything since the pandemic started because I already knew that and I would have left a year ago if I had been ready, but I was anyway. That's all a side note. Hey, everybody. I don't know if anyone who went to my church listens to this podcast. I don't think anybody does. So um, shout out to my friends from work and my friends from grad school who do listen to this podcast. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, buds. Um but yeah, this um, the narrative of like, well, it's in our it's in limiting our freedom that we're truly free, um, which is a fun that's a fun gaslighting technique, isn't it? Um, to be like, no, 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 it's in like not being free that you're free. Trust me. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It doesn't make any sense, right? And they're like, that's the beauty of it. I'm like, I, I do get where like some of that is coming from, right? Is like that mm-hmm. that if we don't, you know, sort of enslave ourselves to other things, that we're truly free. But mm-hmm. I don't think God's trying to enslave us either. Um, mm-hmm. And if we're not slaves, if we are free, then we get to make our choices and be loved anyway, just like any child does, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, it brings up that whole thing of like this uh, thing about disorganized attachment and love and goodness. And um, yeah, how do we, there's this kind of theological question. If God is in control of everything and God is good, everything that happens is good, mm-hmm. would be one theological reformed perspective. The other would be like, uh, for example, the the bridge in Minneapolis uh, on Highway 35 collapses, which happened. Um, and because mm-hmm. God is not a God of death and destruction, like that is not – because God is good, that is not something that God did. So you have John Piper saying, for example, saying, yeah, God did that. And because God is good, the bridge collapsing is a good thing. Which I think, yeah, is exactly goes into that disorganized attachment. Like, how can I, there's got to be some sense in which I can trust my instincts and be able to say, like, that's not good. And, you know, you can say, like, God has the, God is so powerful and loving that God can bring good from terrible things. But, but I think that you do get into some gaslighting sort of things. And I'm not alone in that. Luther said, basically, if you attribute things that the devil does to God, like you are worshiping the devil. So I didn't say it. Luther said it, supposedly, (laughs) in a quote I can't find. And that guy was a jerk, but he was right about stuff. Um, Which isn't that, maybe this is totally a side note, but also part of me feels like this is a disorganized attachment thing, which is that we really, really sort of elevate and have like a hero worship for men who are um, assholes Mm -hmm. in the church, um, both currently and historically. Like that is a like totally forgivable and even praiseable sin is to be a a dis an unkind man right i mean like you know realistically two-thirds of the new testament was written by a man who i would describe as a Mm -hmm. jerk so like what are we gonna do like and so that beckons the question of what do we do with that like what do we do with that other than to say that god speaks through people who are imperfect and that is what i would like to do with that but instead what the church so often would like me to do with that is to say that men who are unkind and uncouth um and judgmental is actually a positive facet of masculinity that should be admired and upheld hey it sounds like you've been reading (laughs) uh yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna get this right i haven't been reading so you're already wrong totally sounds like you've been reading this book called jesus and john wayne Which is basically uh, about how – I don't actually know that much about it, but it is – I've been hearing so many good things about it, and I want to read about it. And it's talking about how, like, American masculinity um, has been, you know, equated with godliness. Hey, like Braveheart, (gasps) 
right? I mean, we were just literally talking earlier about how Men's Chapel, like all I remember is Braveheart and Band of Brothers. And basically, this is then how Trump gets elected because, look, this is – this, these are the men that we are used to, you know, men that tell it straight, the hard truth. They're brave and courageous. And you know what? You know what women get? The void. We get the the rest mm. of it. Anything that that man doesn't fill in is a woman's job. Right? Every other characteristic that God might have in the Bible, mm-hmm. who we so often like to refer to as masculine but would enjoy ignoring the more classically feminine traits mm-hmm. of um, all the rest of that gets left to women. And it, and it, but it is also treated as the mm-hmm. leftovers, mm-hmm. right? I wouldn't be surprised if more, and I'm just coming to this now. I would not be surprised if more women have a disorganized attachment to God than men. Mm-hmm. If more women find themselves confused and gaslit and uh, honestly, like abuse, like obviously, like, you know, we talk about like sexual abuse as a, like a, a reason that people might experience disorganized attachment personally, but also like in their relationship to the divine of like, if you experienced sexual abuse from your primary uh, spiritual community, mm-hmm. right? How deeply confusing. I've always been confused by people who experienced childhood sexual abuse and continue to go like inside of the church and then continue to go to church later. So it's been very confusing mm-hmm. to me because I'm like, I would run the other way. But there are there are so many people, right, who continue to return to this environment because why, right? Like what? Because of everything that we're taught that surrounds this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think not that only women are experience that because we know um, that that's not even sort of true. But I would not be surprised if more women experience that sort of disorganization mm-hmm. because also if women are less empowered in society, right, then they have fewer options to sort of leave the church and make a path for their own as well. And it catches them in that place of like, I can go to this place that harms me and oppresses me or I can leave, but I'm not allowed mm-hmm. to leave. Like, where do I go if I leave? Right. I feel like on a very minor level, I've experienced that in and of myself. Right. If, if I'm not within this church community, which is how I've been taught to define myself my whole life, where am I allowed to go and where do I find that meaning from? Because it's not allowed to be within inside of me because. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, so I've experienced that on a minor level of, um, it's the church. You are supposed to stay loyal. You're supposed to not split over things. You're not supposed to be a church mm-hmm. shopper, right? You need to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, by the way, you mm-hmm. don't have any power to make any decisions here. Yep. <laughs> and uh, you can't make any change, but you're super not allowed to leave. That would be immoral. Yes, exactly. And that is the experience of women for centuries. Yeah. Millennia. Mm hmm. Yes. Ain't that ain't that the thing? Right. Ain't that just the way? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, we talked about lots of great things. What do you think would be when you think about healing from disorganized attachment, what what's one thing that comes to mind for you? Um, I think honestly, I think about uh our friend Luel who was on the podcast. Uh, and I don't know if he would describe himself as having disorganized attachment. I'm not putting that on him, but sort of the work him and his wife are doing of being like, we can have spiritual 
like experiences and relationship and community and totally leave the church entirely. Um, sometimes I think that in order to create healing and safety and figure out how to have boundaries, we have to leave the structure that has harmed us entirely. And I, I think that, I think that God beyond understands that. I think that God honors, mm-hmm. honors that desire and that, um, radicalness mm-hmm. right to be willing to give up our safety our, our safety net that has done nothing but harm us our safety net filled with spikes um to, to honor the fact that what we're really seeking is a relationship with the divine mm-hmm. that's what that honestly is the biggest thing i think about with disorganized attachment and the church is to be able to be like actually i don't have to be here at all and i can come back to honoring an instinct because so like uh, the divine is invisible mm-hmm. to us Right? Like we are not, there's not a person standing in front of me. There is experience. And so I think tapping into that more spiritual and more instinctual portion of ourselves is really painful, especially if it's been so hushed and harmed. But I also think is exactly where we find ourselves breaking free from the chains of, of that. Wow. That is so profound because I think what you're getting at, what you're pointing to is that we actually need to give ourselves space to reconnect with ourselves, which Mm -hmm. in and of itself Mm -hmm. is uh, the last thing that you hear (laughs) in a lot of spiritual communities. And it's true that we heal Mm -hmm. through relationships. I will say that, right. We've talked about that, but I, I think just even that relationship with yourself to slow down and be like, yeah, it's okay for me to pay attention to what I'm feeling. I, I, I mean, that is that is core to trauma healing from a psychological mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. And I think it's true for for spiritual healing as well. I was going to say for me, I, I think kind of related, um, like almost exclusively this past fall, um, my I what has made the most sense for me, this is like an image that has come up a few times uh, throughout my life, but now it's just like my go-to is like God is a mother that is like literally like I imagine God is a mother that is like so big as though I were a baby. And so like I like I'll wake up in the morning sometimes and um, I will imagine like God rubbing my back as, as a mother, but with like a hand that like spans like my whole back, you know, Um, and what I've, that, that has been really helpful. And now what I've like even realized now is like, if, if I'm imagining God, not that I imagine God a lot, but if there's a sense of God showing up in a way other than that, I'm like, oh, that's not, that's not helpful for me. So if I'm imagining, uh, God as like the God that I grew up with, like a white man in the sky, like I can expect judgment and feeling guilt and shame mm-hmm. and disgust yeah. and just being like, Oh yeah, I don't need, like, I don't need that God in my brain. Um, I, I'm just going to go back to like imagining this mother God. Um, Cause that is, that's a God that whenever it's and whenever there's anything close to like conviction, it's always like, Hey, like I want, I want to help you live in this way that's healthier you know yeah so 
that for me has been huge and just being able to own that and be like, yeah, this is, this is the kind of God that, I mean, it sounds so heretical to say it like, this is the kind of God I want, but this is the kind of God that, that is healing and uh, that gives life. And that's true of God. Yeah. And I think one thing I think about, there's a, there's a story in Nadia Bowles Weber's mm. book, Shameless. Um, where she talks about one of her constituents having a Bible where they tore out, basically they tore out all the parts Mm -hmm. of the Bible that didn't work for them and they kept the parts that worked Um, and how heretical so many people would think that is, but it's such a, um, I think that that's huge, right? To be able to say like, not necessarily that, that we should stay there, right? Because I am all for being challenged and moving towards greater liberation and greater, um, depth in our relationship to the divine, but to be able to say like, it is okay if right now there are only some parts of this that work for you, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's what we do with trauma healing, right? With with trauma healing, one of the big things that I say to people when they um, have an experience of shame or difficulty or whatever, this happens in relationship stuff all the time is they'll say like, oh, well, you know, like I just did this because I did this and be like, yeah. And it kept you safe and you don't need it Mm -hmm. anymore. Right? Like, there, there are coping skills that we pick up to deal with situations that at some point we can say, yeah, that did a lot for me at one point in time, and now that's not my life anymore, and so it's actually not helping anymore, and so I'm going to put it back down. And if you have to do that for a second with the or Bible. Or more than a second. <laughs> right? If you have to be like, or more than a second, good night. If you have to do it for years and years and maybe an entire lifetime, like if if the Bible is a barrier to you having a relationship with God, then it's okay to put it down. Honestly, like anything that is a barrier to your relationship with the divine is something worth putting down and maybe coming back to, right? And c- coming back to later when when you feel differently and you feel safer and you feel healthier. But if right now it's a barrier, then just like put it down. Because the thing that God wants is a relationship with you more than God wants any level of behavior, but that's so often not what we've been taught. And so it's terrifying to think about releasing the things that we've been taught are the representations of our relationship with God, even though what they're really doing is standing in the way of our relationship Mm -hmm. with God. Couldn't have said it better myself. I'm glad that we got to talk about this. Thanks everybody for listening to our podcast. We like you. We appreciate you. Shoot us questions. Just appreciate you taking time to listen. Bye. Bye. Yeah, it is funny our the way that our paths didn't cross until crossed. they did. Mm-hmm. But one of them was was this Bible college. Yeah. So I was going to say, uh, I will tell you what they taught us in men's chapel if you tell me. Oh, what they see, we, you no. In here's the cha- thing. Okay, chapel. so here's a distinct thing. Please tell me what they taught you in men's chapel. But here's a distinct thing. Men's Chapel and Women's Chapel no longer existed when I came to Walt Nelmet. Ooh, so progressive. We had really, we had uh, really all progressed. All I remember is lots of Braveheart movie clips. Oh, okay. So that's all you remember? Yeah. One so of the. That's how you, be, the, as a man, that's how you become close to God. You got to be like Braveheart. One of the, we had a thing, instead of Men's Chapel and Women's Chapel, we definitely had a women's thing called Secret Struggles. That was a ladies like uh-huh. dorm event. And the only one I really remember is that we talked about masturbation. And I was like, what? That's crazy. 
<laughs> we had a men's group called Procope, and uh, it actually was like really amazing because um, it was the first like kind of like men's group on campus mm-hmm. that you could talk about things, right? But the man who started it had to convince the dean why he wasn't supposed to just report everything that everyone said in group back to the dean. <laughs> like, had to have, like, a, like, fight for that. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so, that school has changed right. very rapidly in the last 10 years or so. But, I mean, I went there 10 but years, I, 15 I, years or I know, so. I, I was going to say, I'm just going to, like, I'll clip this out and I'll, like, put it at the end and be like, here, if you want to know about our... <laughs> If you want we some, about... some hot Bible college goss. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, this is an Area Code podcast.